In this episode of the Courage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by Canadian hip hop MC, music business enthusiast, and a grant writer, Arlo Maverick. You know, this was a great episode, man, because me and Arlo got connected through New School Rules, which is the top urban music conference in, in Europe, International Urban Music Conference. And, you know, what I love about Arlo is that he is really passionate not only about the making music as a hip-hop artist, but as well as teaching people about the music business and how to be successful in the music business, especially being from Canada because it's a little bit of a different system that they use over there. Um, you know, all and I share that there's so many uh, opportunities for him, people like him and I, to help artists because of the experiences that we have and not necessarily having a major having to have a major background on the executive side because of the majority of artists that's in the space really can get value from a lot of what we teach and share you know we talk about how the pandemic has affected so many creatives and how they had to maneuver to just be able to be able to touch and impact people and the fact that, you know, having the ability to, you know, have something to say is really, really important in times and tough times like we've been experiencing. You know, Arlo and I both come from some Jamaican heritage. It's cool to experience that and talk about that as well. Uh, we just talk about how he first got connected in the music industry and how he had a close friend that was able to teach him about how to navigate uh, learning how to navigate the music business uh, within Canada because they have a different system with grants and funding and different things to help new artists coming up and the reason why they have a grant system and funding is because there's not as many opportunities for um, hip-hop artists to be able to get their music heard and stay in the country and do and have the same opportunities that artists that are from America might be able to take advantage of. You know, Arlo has been a part of so many things from a hip hop group. He's done fundraising. He's worked in the radio. You know, he's released albums. And I mean, the guy has just done so much. And he has uh, so much knowledge to share. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Current Inspire Podcast. It's number episode number forty-two, and we got today we got a special guest, and his name is Arlo Maverick from Edmonton, right? Yes, that's correct, Edmonton, Alberta, Edmonton, Canada. Right. So there's, you know, when you say Canada, Canada is a, you know, is a, it's a, it's a big place. So you know, there's several different parts, right? So yes, definitely, so, you know, but. It's been so good to, it's so good to have you on the pod, man, for sure. No, so it's it's uh, an honor and a blessing to actually be featured as well, too, man. Yeah, man. So yeah, so this this podcast, you know, why well, I started it, I started it uh, 
really wanted to cover like really three topics. Um, you know, like I said, like disability awareness, music business topics, and just people's stories that encourage and inspire me. And 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 I feel like definitely, you know, the music business stuff and and, and your story is something I definitely want to get into. You know, uh, because like I said, you wear you've worn so many hats in this space. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so I'm excited to get into your story. So, um, you know, we, I think we got connected on pretty much on like social media, I want to say. You know, yes, yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, like we have a lot of, we have a lot of the same friends around the industry, you know, shout out to Henka, Maduro, Manus Gurus, yes. Dio, yes. you know, it's yes. like that. Yeah, man. Those are, you know, some of my favorite people in the industry. Yeah, um, and, yeah, we got connected because you were just sharing quality, quality content, man, and and oh, really, you. even though you know you're you're creative, you know you, you talk a lot about the business side, which we'll get into a little bit later, but but that's what that's how I know that's how we got connected, man. Just just really appreciating the knowledge that you share about the music about the music space, man. Uh, thank you, thank you. Well, I think it's it's important for us as um, creatives and even more specifically as black creatives to, uh, speak about our experiences because there's a huge void that, um, of information that's not being shared. And, and, um, I always lead with the mentality of if I don't tell those, whether it's my peers or the younger artists coming up, like what to expect and something goes wrong, then that's on me. But if I tell them, and if they don't take heed to the message then that's on them, but I think that we have to start um, putting ourselves into positions where not to say that, that, that we're self, uh, imposed leaders, but just being people that actually see the, the importance of sharing information. That's something that you do as well too, because at the end of the day, like you've, you have enough music experience that you can help an artist coming up uh, right now, like right. understand how to navigate the game. But yeah. if you don't tell them, then it's just like, yo, Darrell, why didn't you tell them? You know? <laughs> right. Right. You know what? It's interesting you say that because in today's era of the music of the music ecosystem, you know, you're not you're not getting a record deal. At least the goal shouldn't be a record deal, right? Yeah. So, I you know I've never worked for a major record company in any type of way, you know. So I've kind of always done the indie thing, and I feel like that's where. That's where that's where I can have the biggest impact because majority of the creatives in the marketplace will never sign any kind of deal, whether it be independent or major. So yeah. um, I think there's space for me, one, because there's people have access to me and two, I have knowledge of the relationships to actually help them. And I think yeah. that's the key thing, man. I, you know, so many people get caught up in industry names and, 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 and things like that. And I always say, man, the music, there's a difference between the music industry, the music business, and the business of music, right? Mm. So I think, you know, artists, I think creators got to understand the difference between all three of those, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. And the the thing about it is that there's only so much a book could teach you, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. where people's lived experiences really help um, give context and, and also provide information because we're kind of living in the moment as these things happen and sharing that information um and just the networks of people that were surrounded by because like when you think about it, it's like just listing off Dio and Hanka 
like the amount of people that those two are connected to, like right. it's, it's a vast network. And it's just like, like those two people have connected me with so many different people. The only reason why I was able to get into Europe in the first place was because of um, Dio yeah. and Dio like ended up like introducing me to Hanka and like right. these are two people that always uh, will try to help artists in a yeah. way that, that, that the, the, the music industry doesn't necessarily help Right. artist but that's where community comes in in the sense of like yo like i see your i see you working i see you doing your thing you need to connect with this person here because they're going to help you do this you know exactly that's why i love you know that's why i love you know really what dio does especially with hanka because how she set up new school rules she's doing something different than the traditional industry you know she's actually giving people an opportunity to uh, really build a global footprint, man. I mean, yes. she's so connected. I mean, I how I got connected to Hanker was through my man Veteran I. Okay. I don't know if you know Veteran I. No, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. So Veteran I. Um. So we went to familiar with me them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, speaking of that, man, they've actually discontinued it. They they're gonna they're stopping it. I, don't I know. know but, yeah. Honestly, that 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 like kind of broke my heart <laughs> and I don't mean to sound yeah. dramatic about yeah. it because I, I went there once and it was the yeah. one of the best experiences I've ever yeah. had at a conference and yeah. obviously it's the south of France so it's beautiful yeah. but it's it's also just the the amount of knowledge that you receive from there and just Absolutely. The, you're connected to the world because everyone is there it's very similar to new school rules in the sense that like the whole world is literally there right. for like a week or however long it, it is you know right yeah so Went to meet them. I've actually been there three times mm. uh, in, in the physical form, 2016, yeah. 2017, 2018. Okay. And okay. so in 2017, um, met, we met Veteran I, you know, okay. uh, he's out of, he's originally from Greensboro, Greensboro, North Carolina, but he was living in LA at the time. And we connected with him actually in the south of France, through it. He connected with a couple of my artists, Steel Lodge, and Xavier Keys. Mm. I don't know if, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with them? I'm familiar with Theo Lodge because I because I was actually out there in 2017. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I'm almost certain that Dio had introduced me to Theo Lodge at that yeah, time. So yeah. I, I've been following him since that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just with Theo last night, man. He's a he's a special dude. Yeah, because he lives about two hours from me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um so met veteran I. Uh through and then connected him, connected with, connected with him in 2017 at Meet M. And then the following year, we decided that we were going to do a tour, right? Mm. And so we started, the tour actually started at New School Rules in 2018. Yeah. And then we went to um, Grown Again. Okay, okay. The Dival and, you know, and, and, and Zolder and all that type of stuff like that. My yeah. man with my man uh Nurko Black. You know Nurko Black? Yeah, yeah. We we actually we I can't remember the venue we performed in Cronigan, Pro- but we probably, we also, probably uh it's Zolder. Yeah, Zolder. Yeah, Cafe yeah, Zolder. That's the yeah, one. That's it's the real one. gritty in there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's real, it's real gritty, real hip hop. You know, you know what Definitely. I loved, you know what I loved about that venue is that those Dutch cats were like really rhyming, you know what yeah, I mean? In, in Dutch. And it was just like 
and like it was they they love hip hop. Yeah, yeah, and it's traditional hip hop is what they love, man. Like yeah. obviously they, they 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 will get down the trap, but like when we were there, um, what we noticed is that when it came time to like decipher and freestyle, like these guys were like coming with bars, and it's like sometimes exactly. you can't understand it because yeah, of yeah, the, you can't, the language, but you, walk, but you you could feel you the feel energy. it. Yeah, you feel it. Yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> and it was like you know I never seen nothing like that before, right? So. Yeah. You know, yeah, so we went to, so we did that, and then we went to, um, after that, we went to Belgium, we went to Luxembourg. Mm. You might have hit some of the same spots we hit, because, you know. We've actually never, never hit, uh, we've, we passed through, uh, courtesy of, like, the, the multiple flights you got to take in order to get it as cheap as possible, but yeah. <laughs> we've never actually done anything, like, we've done. Tallinn, we've done uh, Wales, we've done South Korea, we've done London, um, obviously the south of France. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, like Germany and and, and Belgium, like we haven't had yeah. a chance to hit those. Right yeah, now. so we did a place called, what's a place called um, in Luxembourg? You know, because Luxembourg's a really, really small country. Yeah. A really small space, but uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't remember what the name of the venue was. Yeah, but we, you know, we, we went to several, we went to several places in Europe that year. Uh did like then we did then we did Spain for a week. That was fun. Wow. Know. I've been to Spain but never performed there, man. Yeah, yeah, we weird. did Spain. We did went to Valencia, Spain. So yeah. what's crazy about that trip, so I'll quickly tell you what's crazy is that so that particular trip, we left the Netherlands and our flight was supposed to leave at 940 at night. We ended up like leaving late we didn't get there till like 12 30 in the morning and we were supposed to catch a bus so yeah because we flew into we flew into barcelona mm. couldn't fly directly into valencia where we were staying at yeah we flew into barcelona and we actually had to take a bus a five-hour bus trip because you know we're we're indie you know we're indie, <laughs> yeah, so yeah 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 it's so funny this thing so we don't <laughs> gotta realize, save where you can <laughs> yeah people don't realize like you know, it ain't sexy on, on social media. We're to oh, we're on tour. You know, yeah. kind of give away the secret right now <laughs> on the pod, but we're letting people kind of into it a little bit. But you know, um, yeah. It, it, so we had to take a bus. So you know, because yeah. I have a disability, we're already running late. Yeah. So vets like, look, you guys go. I got the rail. So yeah. So he. So they go and get the bags and stuff like that. And remember, there's a language barrier because they speak Spanish. Mm, so yes, we're trying yes. to figure out what's going on. You know, and we only have like thirty minutes to get to the bus. So we have. To yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's crazy. So we, you know, thank God we we barely made it. And uh, yeah. And so we get there. So we take the five hour bus ride from Valencia from Barcelona to Valencia. So we yeah. can't check into our Airbnb till like two thirty. So remember, so we get there like it's six a.m. in the morning. So wow. we're literally in the bus station for like seven hours. Yeah, yeah. And we can't go anywhere. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't. We can't go anywhere. So people don't really know. Like people think it's people think that tour life is glamorous. It's it's really not. No, on an independent scale, it's not, man. Because yeah. we've had we had similar situations like that too, where we would be, um, we'd arrive early into let's say London, but then our Airbnb is not ready for another four or five hours. And so like we're, we leave from the, um, from the, like sometimes from the bus station and then yeah. go from the bus station or go from the airport 
and find a cafe that's close in that area there. And we basically just like sit there at the cafe, kind of planning out what the week's going to look like while we're there right. and just keep ordering food. And as long as you keep <laughs> ordering food, they're not going to kick you out. But it's like, right. People don't see that side. They, they see like the see, pictures. They don't know that side at all. I mean, uh, which is, which is <laughs> kind of good because, you know, we're able to kind of, hey, we're, hey they're on tour order. So we're kind of, so like I said, kind of good at that. Don't know that side. Yeah. <laughs> You know when you're going through it, and by the way, we're and we're staying in hostels, so it's like, yeah, you know, because again, we're trying to save money. So, money. thankfully, yeah. the hostels that we, we stayed in two hostels on that trip, and we were fortunate enough to where it was just us in the room. It was like seven of us, yeah. so we were able to get to where it was all, just us. You know, versus yeah. you're in a hostel, it's like you don't know who you're staying, yeah. staying with. So it's, it's not, you know, you could be random people. You know, yeah. it's, it's on a bed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, that was interesting stuff, man. So yeah, but so but so once I did did that in Europe, I just built a relationship with Hank and I said, Hank, you know, I, I really want to be the I really want to be the global guy. I really want to be the guy that can help independent artists really establish a global footprint. And so I would like to do a, I would like to create like some kind of partnership. Yeah, with new school rules, where I basically bring artists over and allow them to tr- to, to perform on stage and things like that, and create opportunity. And so, mm-hmm. Hank and Greg were nice enough to to let me come on and, and be a partner. And 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 except like we've I've I've brought several artists over. Yeah, and you know, and so we, you know we've had a you know we've had a good time, man. And 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 unfortunately. We, the last couple of years it's been having to be digital i mean what she, what she did last year was amazing i mean yeah it was as probably as best as it could be being a virtual event she did the, the best she could possibly do and she, oh and yeah she, and yeah the, the technology wasn't always all the way there but i think that the site that they used was probably the best at that time exactly. and it was the, the best she could possibly do considering what we're in so, totally, so i know she's totally. excited about you know, and, and hopefully, you know, because I think there are, are you guys on lockdown out there, by the way? Are you guys on, how's it over there? It's, okay, it's a weird situation. Um, obviously, they put out the vaccination and, and some people are for yeah. some people are against it. Um, and we've had, it's up until, like, over the summer, like, okay, I'm not sure if you're familiar with how Canada is set up, but we have, I as really opposed agree. to states. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so as opposed to states, we have, provinces and so right. the province of alberta is the one that edmonton is located in right. and our province east province kind of has their own jurisdiction as far as how they want the pandemic to be handled so on and so forth so we've been the most lax about it right <laughs> and so no worries bless you yeah. because of that uh summertime like we were free to do whatever we wanted to do and like it probably wasn't the smartest thing for them to do but at the same time though was people needed to actually just get out yeah. and then once we started coming towards um because yeah we got rid of masks like no one was you know because we had gotten to 80 percent vaccination yeah. rates yeah. and once september came in all of a sudden they started to like put more restrictions in and so right now with the whole omnicron thing they've yeah. a, a lot of things have been canceled like we're actually supposed to be in winnipeg in two weeks from now about that. Yeah. yeah but that got canceled so i've got to film a virtual performance for it on on sunday which is to me it's not bad still because like Prior to the pandemic, we were doing virtual performances. We just yeah. called them in-studio performances. And we yeah. would use those to basically book like book tours and book, book festivals yeah. so on and so forth. So yeah. for us, it's just been kind of like just 
adapting to it and, and right. becoming more refined, you know? Exactly. No, man, I mean, we've been, you know, so living in Florida, this is a, what they call a red state. So yeah, you guys are Republicans, yeah. Right, so DeSantis <laughs> is, is not having it. So, I mean, we've pretty much been wide open for over a year, I think now. You know, I mean, Damn. it's pretty much been, you know, pretty much been wide open. And, and 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 I've always felt like, and this is a bit of a tangent, but I've always felt like it's un-American to tell people what they can and can't can do. do. Yeah, And that's no. just been my issue. Like, even when it was like, even when they were censoring Trump and doing things like that, I thought that that was a bad move because... Yeah, it sets a precedent. It sets a precedent that... If you can shut down the president of the United States, you know, that's you not down. a good thing because he's the leader of the free world. I understand that <laughs> Trump is Trump, you know, at the time. Yeah. But it just, to me, said and people die trying to come to this country for the same freedoms that you're trying to take away. Take away. If yeah. you're equated to abortion, and now you're telling people, okay, well, you know, what if the government started saying you have to, you know, you have to, if you have, you know, like they do in some other countries, you're only allowed to have a certain amount of children. So what happens if you, you know, you, you go over that and now the government starts telling you, well, you have to have an abortion. Like we're going yeah. to be going nuts and crazy about that. So I think it kind of, I don't know. I think you kind of, I don't want to say it's the same thing, but um, it, it, it kind of, like I said, people just, they, they care. It's their body. They want to be able to do what they want. You know. No, I, I, I agree. I agree with you in the sense that um, the thing about history, when we look at it, we always have to look at what were the small steps that were that were taken and what were the small things that were happening that led to these catastrophic things that ended up becoming things that would change the world. And so yeah. something as small as freedom of speech, once you take that away, then what is the next step? What what is the next thing they're going to infringe on? Like even when we look at the whole situation with um, 9-11, I don't mean to be, but it's one of those things where so many rights were taken away from regular people after that situation happened. And we've never gone back to saying, okay, you know what? We've, uh, the, the, once they start taking away those freedoms, they never give them back. Is essentially what I'm trying to say. Right, you know? right. Because that so, was before 9 11, you didn't have what you didn't have the TS like the TSA, you know, the stuff you have now in airports. You know, yeah. I mean, you didn't have the strict. It was, I mean, I guess in a way it was it, it, it's good, but again, like I said, there's there's certain things in in our in our countries in our world's history that are like you could tell that are that are shit that. Sh- things shift right so totally totally 9-11 obviously you know 2020 with the with the pandemic you know we yeah. have these, these world things that will forever shift our, our history but you know like you said there's when you start telling people what they can and can't do uh it becomes it becomes a like and i was just i was just having a conversation with my dad about it i said you know because the truth is the masks don't do anything yeah. I hate to say it. They just, they, <laughs> I mean, they don't do anything. I mean, they, yeah. they're not going to stop you from getting COVID. They just, I mean, they're not. We're, we're covering our faces. And the truth is, that's not healthy, you know, to breathe. Like, 
Imagine having no. to wear a mask for the rest. Imagine if we, if we had to wear a mask for the rest of our our our, our, our lives as human beings. That's not healthy. No, and it's that, not healthy at all. Having to breathe in your, and not get, you know, having to go outside with your face covered. There are certain jobs where you have to be, certain jobs where you're, yeah, you need to be covered and to be protected. But having to do, to, to live that way for the rest of your life, it, to me, there's just something that's just not right about that. But, you know, but people, you know, I, that's just how I feel about it, man. It's just, it's, it, it's, a, it's a very slippery slope when you start making people do um, do you know, taking people's rights away and and doing things like that because like I said it never you never end up giving them back you never yeah no totally it'll never be the same even though you know so yeah and and the the thing the thing that I think we have to to be mindful of as well too is that like um, governments are are made up of people and yeah. the same way that um, one group of people could have ill intentions. So can a group of people who are supposed to be our governmental representatives, you know, right. um, they are not without sin. They're not without flaws. They're not without sin. They're not without right. any other things that, um, they, that make them human. human. Right. They're human at the end of the day. I think, you know, everybody, everybody's flawed, man. Not every human being on this planet, you know, with the sake of Jesus Christ, I guess was a flawed, was a flawed person. You know, yeah, 100%. You know, you know, so I really believe that, man. So cool. Well, I want to get to a little bit to your story. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. So we already, you know, so you have West Indian roots? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, my dad is from Jamaica. He's from St. Dan's. And my mom is from Anova, or better known as Hanover to people. But if you're a Yachty, then you say Anova, you don't pronounce the H, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my mom is from Mandeville, Manchester area. And my dad is okay. from St. Elizabeth Parish. Oh, okay, okay. So, I, you know, I've never I've never been, you know? So, you know, we were actually born in New York. Yeah. And then I was lived there for about, till I was seven. And we moved to, in, in, to Orlando in 93. Mm. And so, but I've never been to Jamaica, and my dad's never t- taken me because of you know because of my disability. So I have cerebral palsy. So yeah, um, he always said that where he's from, it, it just wouldn't really be conducive for me to because it's the country. It's not it's yeah, only, and it's not the can't. It's not like America. So when you yeah. go over there, it's, it's much different. So I've never. Oh yeah, not. Yeah, I've never had the opportunity to, to, to go. So it's one of the places where I really do want to go because it's one, it's it's part of my culture, it's part of where I'm from. So, you know. That's uh, 100%. You're going to go at, at some point in time. The, the thing that's that's tough with Jamaica, though, is that, like, if you really want to experience the real Jamaica, you have to step off the resort. But yeah. once you step off the resort, then, especially if you're dealing with a country, like, Jamaica's so hilly and, like, it's... Yeah, that's it's, exactly what he said. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. It just wouldn't be... And that's the reason why he's never taken me because like it just wouldn't really be the best for me and so i can yeah. understand why you know so hopefully one day you know i'll get a chance to go but yeah you know yeah because you, you got you got to experience it once man you got to yeah. experience it once man you know from the the like the, when you eat jamaican food down there it tastes different like I the, bet. The air, you know it's one vibe, thing to have like, it here in america but i'm sure when you have it authentically down there it's totally it, different. It's totally different. It's like totally with anything different. else, right? Like, right. I was interviewing my man, Murder Service. He's from Italy. And he yeah, was, I know. I know Murder Service. I know Murder yeah, Service. But yeah, Murder <laughs> Service. Yeah. And so we talked about, I said, dude, do, do, do y'all really eat that same? He's like, no, we don't eat that. Like, what we, what we consider <laughs> as, 
Italian, Italian food. food here. They don't eat that over here. <laughs> it's not authentic. <laughs> like yeah. to tell you, like we don't we don't eat that. Like like yeah. real Italians don't. And it's it's interesting. It's just like anything. It's just like when we eat Chinese food, most people that they sell us the, the American versions. They don't need that. They don't need yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we we have a lot of uh, Chinese restaurants here in Edmonton, and yeah. we always make the joke that if you if the majority of the people eating at the Chinese restaurant are not Chinese, then it's not an authentic place, you know, because they'll go yeah. to where they, they know the food is authentic, but they're not going to go to where the food is inauthentic, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it, it's just, it just, you know, it, it, man, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. So... So talk to me about your earliest. Me- I always like to ask this question, man. Talk to me about your earliest memories of music. Like, what wow. do you remember being about music? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, that's interesting. Still, um, my earliest memories of music. Um, I'm gonna give you my earliest memories of hip hop music, and Perfect. the reason why I say that is that because um, growing up in the household that we grew up in, like uh, there was reggae, there was calypso, um, there was like funk, like it was very vast, but yeah. as far as hip hop goes, my older cousin Donovan, who um, is a Yachty born up there and he came to, to Canada, like shortly, or, or like in the, the early eighties. Mm-hmm. And he was, we've always known him to never really be like a hip hop guy. He's like, he loves his, his lovers rock. He loves his, his dance hall, loves his reggae, yeah. um, loves soul music, R and B music, but he's never been a hip hop guy, but what because of the fact that I think that he was trying to integrate into uh Canadian and Amer- and like North American culture, right? He brought home some cassette tapes uh of hip hop music in like the early 80s. And so okay. us being kids, it was myself and my two other cousins, so his yeah. little brothers, yeah, we like were curious. So we go and we're playing his cassette tapes and everything like that, and all of a sudden we hear UTFOs, Roxanne, yeah. Roxanne, you right. know. And so that's like my earliest memories of hip hop, just like hearing that blare out my cousin's like room. But it's like that in itself completely like changes my life because all of a sudden, like I fall in love with this thing called hip hop. And from that point on, it's just been always been a part of my life and earlier Michael Jackson, because Michael Jackson was just like, yeah, like a lot of it was played in the house, man. Probably more than any other artist. (laughs) Shout out to Michael Jackson, man. You know, Michael Uh, is, is definitely one of the best entertainers to ever to ever live you know yes. what i mean definitely yeah. the king of pop for real man yeah, and a um, visionary too definitely legendary definitely definitely man so when did you realize that music was something you want to pursue as a career was it something you realized this is what i want to do professionally mm-hmm. you know i always tell people you know we can't live without music it's impossible it's yeah. impossible to live we need it you know the arts is so important to live in a balanced life you know what i mean mm-hmm. and, but it's one thing to obviously love music but it's nothing to pursue it it's something you definitely yeah. really want to do so what did you know that that's what you wanted to do i think around high school is probably when because like if you talk to anybody who grew up with me that like i was always a kid who was rapping always freestyling and i used to dance and right. so it was always the part of just 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 me as a person but as far as me saying like yo this is what i want to do for the rest of my life like it was probably around um like junior high high school and more so i would say high school because uh, a good friend of mine by the name of fabian Mayer is like he was the one who kind of like allowed me to realize that like 
you can't just rap. You got to be able to understand the business side of it. And because yeah. his older cousin by the name of Kata Pinnock was a guy who was, he was older than us and he had a better understanding of the music industry. And he mm-hmm. also uh, had worked for as a, a label rep for BMG at the time. Okay. And so he's giving us game in the sense of like, okay, like you guys have to like, there's grants you guys could apply for. You have to create a right. bio. You got to create a demo. You got to like rehearse your shows and you got to start booking shows. And all of a sudden it's just like, we get opened up to like the business side of things. Yeah. And so yeah. at that point in time, I'm just like, my, my, my mentality shifted because I would just rap just for the yeah. sake of rapping, not realizing that like you could rap as long as you want, but until you start understanding the, the system that is the, the music of business, the yeah. music, sorry, then you are, you're only going to be a rapper. You exactly. Know? Exactly. You know, and the, the you know, and, and you're right, man, the, the, the business matters, but you know, so many creative people when they first come up, just want to create. And that's usually why they, you know, especially in the pre-digital era, when it was when, it, when yeah. you did need a record deal, you know, now yes. having, now having a record, now tr- the chase the record deal just doesn't make any sense when you first start nah. out. But there was a time where you needed a record deal. Like you needed, yeah. you couldn't do it without a record deal. You know, I was just listening to an interview that uh, and uh, Sean Prez was interviewing Howard Hewitt, the R&B singer guy from Shadowmont. He was saying that there was a time where like you wouldn't even consider doing an indie deal. It had to be a major. You wouldn't even major. consider doing an indie because like the indies didn't have the pockets that the majors had because it was just because you know back in them days it was expensive to do music. I mean, we think about nowadays you can shoot a music video on your iPhone, right? If you yeah. know what you're doing, <laughs> there was a time where you could you, a low budget video would cost you fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. There was a time where that uh, you know you had to spend the type of money. You know, kids today don't know anything about having to press up CDs and. Had your uh-huh. like, we, like we remember <laughs> that, you know what I mean. But this yeah. generation, all they know is digital, <laughs> so they don't know the days of having to yeah. put the. So you wanted to go to a conference, and you wanted to bring. You had to put to put in a white label, put in the white sleeve, the CD sleeve, and yeah, print your stuff, <laughs> or print the contact, and create a sampler, right, and on print the, the stuff, yeah. thermal print it on the CD because. If you didn't want the DJ, whoever got your record, to throw your case away, because if you just did the insert, they would throw your case away. Case, and then they wouldn't yeah, be able to contact yeah. you. So you had to print everything on the CD. <laughs> and I, you know, yeah. so you had to, and you would press up like a hundred, like like probably five hundred to a thousand CDs at a time. I mean, that was, that's a different time. You know, kids today wouldn't oh, yeah. nowhere near do that now, but that's what you uh, did. And- you know what's crazy? I still have I still have copies of everything that we actually printed up back in those days, there, man. Because yeah. like for me, I, I'm very much about documenting things and like I yeah. uh, keeping things archived. And so, yeah, like I remember those days, and it's just like you would have to like it's you didn't have like a CD burn. You had one CD burner, yeah. put it in, burn the CD, yeah. it pops out, pop the next one in, and then take yeah. the label, put it on there with a with a CD stomper thing, yeah. put the label on. Put yeah. it into the into the the case or whatever, and it's just like you just keep going through that process. Yeah, that's and, what, and that's what you had to do. I mean, yeah. I mean you, know, <laughs> you know, now with streaming, we don't have to do that, but that's what you had. That's what you had to do. There was a time where you know a lot of these young kids, yeah. if you would tell them, they'd be like, "What you had to do? What <laughs> you know what I mean?" Yeah. So, so when you, when you went to, like I said, like now when you went to conferences, you had to have a backpack 
full of seats. Now you wouldn't do that. Full now. of you know you wouldn't. Yeah. You probably would have nah, at the most like you have a, DVD, <laughs> uh, a, a jump drive or a download card or something now, but. There was a time where that's what you did, and that was part of your budget. You had to make sure you budgeted for that. Like, okay, yeah. you know, we gotta have enough so we can give enough out. You know, things like that. So, you know, <laughs> that was an interesting time in the space, man, for sure. But I, I think the the great thing about that time period, though, is that it taught us how to be um, taught us how to be independent. You know, because yeah. um, in a lot of in a lot of ways, like, and I think you could probably relate to this is that. For me and my, me and my friends, we were always looking at what are the majors, what are the major labels doing, and how do we do that with our resources, you know? And so, when I looked at um, what Rockefeller was doing, because Rockefeller and was like the label that everybody was like, kind of like following the blueprint for, no pun intended. Um, everything that they were doing, it's like, okay, how do we do that on on our scale, on our level, you know? Uh, Darrell, I can't hear you. Sorry about it, guys. We had a little bit of technical difficulties. We're back. Um, nah, man, but like you were just saying, like, you know, you were talking about being able to watch what back then, watch what the major labels were doing and try to do the best to replicate that to a certain extent you're not yeah. exactly you couldn't do it exactly you know too many even today too many kids try to do a major like they try to do what drake is doing to be like you can't like this is not you know you can't do what they're doing because they're already established like they can do different things when you reach a certain level in the game <laughs> you can do different things that you just can't do that. There's levels to success, you know? So I totally agree. 100%. I totally agree, man. So um, I want to touch a little bit about certain aspects of your career. Like, could you, like I said, you wore so many hats. And so, you know, I'm a, you know, I want to do that. So talk to me about um, really the difference between what it means to be a Canadian hip hop indie artist versus, because the difference from the States. And I say that because, and I want to get into into the sense of grant writing later, but the fact, just the fact that there's funding, right? Yeah. The fact that there's funding that you can get to even start your career, because that's what most people, most independent artists, that's what they, that's what they're lacking. So the fact yeah. that you can actually go get some money, you mentioned it earlier with your your your, I think your cousin was saying, hey, you got to apply for these grants. Grants. Start yeah. a couple. Talk to me about what it means to be. Uh, uh, how would you approach it from being a Canadian hip hop artist and the resource that you have there versus how okay. somebody would start in the States? Cause it's a little bit different. I'm sure. well, I, th- I think the reason why one of the, 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 one of the biggest differences is that in America, you guys have a lot more outlets as far as uh, <coughs> music. You guys also have a lot more um, support because if you're an artist that, gets picked up by a label or whatever, then the label can put funding behind you, or at least at one point in time, that's what it was. You guys also have a larger population. You guys also mm-hmm. have uh, different outlets that will actually play music. Like at one point in time, you guys had 
much you guys had uh, MTV, you guys had the box, you guys had uh, all these different outlets for people to actually have their music videos or have their music aired. Where for us, we had only a select few, we had much music, then eventually we had MTV Canada. Um, but for the most part, we the reason why our government um, does so much to um, stimulate the uh, growth of the music industry here is because of the fact that we don't have um, the same outlets or the same opportunities. But so right. anyone you look at it from the standpoint of touring, right? Uh, yeah. um, if you live in Ontario, like uh, out where DO is, like there's an opportunity for you to tour to a variety of different college. Uh, you could do the college circuit down there, right? Where in the US, you can do, you could hit up multiple cities and do a college uh, tour to actually promote your record, right? Right. What, we're over here. We so in BC, which is the province which is right next to us, the main cities that you would uh, do shows in would be Vancouver, Victoria, uh, maybe Nanaimo, maybe Surrey, um, Vernon, Kelowna, so on and so forth. But that's just a small pocket of things. And then now you have to drive possibly uh, 13 hours just to get to jasper or edmonton or calgary or lethbridge or red Deer just to do shows and then oh, from wow. there you're driving at least five hours or so to regina or red Deer, and from there you're driving out maybe another i think it's i think it's like maybe 11 hours or so seven hours to Man. winnipeg so like for us like it's so spread apart and that's just the major cities it's not to say that you you don't want to hit up the the tertiary markets because there's a lot of smaller cities where you can do things. But as far as hip hop goes, like a lot right. of these smaller markets are just becoming warmed up to hip hop. You know, right. um, you look at radio, like you guys have had, uh, it, you're from New York, so you know, hot 97, like they've yeah. been around for such a long time. But for us, we didn't get our first urban radio station until the 2000s and those stations didn't even last. And part of that is due to politics and the yeah. whole fact that like, urban music became the big thing at that time, but it was exploited by a lot of uh, broadcasters in order for them to gain licenses to get into certain markets, you know? Right. So um, there's, we, we don't have representation as far as management or anything like that. Um, and we don't have as many labels up here. So I think that the biggest thing that the Canadian government has the, well, I guess the, the thing that the Canadian government has done is looked at in the sense of how do we actually create opportunities that um, lead to Canadian artists being able to live off of what they do. And so the grants are there and there are quite a lot like, um, and I've been fortunate to access a lot of them and we have uh, those grants to help cover marketing, help cover recording an album, help cover touring an album, showcasing, like even when I went over to Europe, like uh, the times I've been over to Europe for, for touring or showcasing even Asia, that's been covered through not all of it, but a portion of it has been covered through grant funding. And um, I know a lot of like, we've had an opportunity to chop it up with Ashton Martin out in Atlanta. We've had a chance yeah. to chop it up with Gatson out in, in uh, uh, Champaign, Illinois. And yeah. a lot of these guys are like, yo, like we don't have access to that. Like when we come over, like we're literally having to fund it ourselves or yeah. call an adult boy who's going to be like, yo, no, yeah, that and that's that's know. how it is. You know, because yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, all I always tell people, you know, this too, man. The biggest thing when people realize what it means to pursue this professionally is how expensive this career is, right? Is. I yeah. think a lot of people when they, because again, like I said, who doesn't love to rap? Who doesn't love to yeah. sing? Like it was like when you're when you were when your your cousin your family member was talking about the business of it. 
yeah. and what it means. Like that's the eye-opening part for a lot of people because they don't realize the expenses that come along with being a professional. You know, oh, yeah. and having to take your career from because record labels now they don't start your career; they already finish it. Like yeah, because they, they'll wait till you get popping, and then they'll right. come in. <laughs> but then they're not investing. By the time you, right, by the time you do enough to make some noise, you spent tons and tons of money. So I think that's the biggest thing that people, when they first come into the game, realize how how expensive it really, really is. You know. Wendy yeah. Day, I'm sure you know Rap Coalition. She talks yes, about yes, yes. Oh, she, she, can, she takes on a client. She's like, she can't do it for nothing less than one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, and you know that's on the low end. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's on you know. But she said, I can't because her goal is to blow you up. Her goal is to blow is to blow you up within at least a year to two years, right? But but even you can't even really go to her when you first start out because she can't do anything for you. So you already have to put you already have to have put yourself in a position to even if even if you had the money, you still gotta be able to put yourself in a position to where it would make sense for somebody like her to take yeah. her resources to help you. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's always the biggest thing. And it comes back down to education. You know, yeah. Education is a is a number one missing link for indie artists because the internet has made it great, but it also has made it bad because people we have people in our industry in our space that don't really belong here. It shouldn't even really be here because yeah. just they're only here because they, they they have access to the internet. They can put their music out. It's out there. Yeah. They don't really necessarily have the grind and that, that it requires to do this, you know. Yeah, and I, I think that that uh, time often uh, weeds out those people because the, the there was a uh, a video that I watched from the gentleman who uh, he's from CD Baby and he said um, what people don't understand about the music industry is that as an artist, there's two parts to it. There's a first part of your career where you're paying to be in the music industry, right? Yeah. So even though yeah. you may be making money off a show or making money off a of merch, you're still paying to be within the music industry because you're spending more than what you're actually getting. And then he yeah. said, at some point in time, you get to the point where now you're making more than you're spending. And mm -hmm. to get to that point, it could take up to like 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. some people look at it from the standpoint of if this doesn't happen within the first three years, then I'm not going to do it. And so that is a, the essentially time weeding out people in the sense of like, is this something that you are yeah. willing to uh, put that time into and like grind? Because yeah. the grind looks sexy when when you're seeing the the story of 50 Cent. Like yeah. people don't understand that like, yo, like 50 was 50 was doing songs with Onyx back in the days and with Nas back in the days. He didn't yeah. have his big break till much later. You look yeah. at Jay's. Jay-Z yeah. got his break much later in his career, but we yeah. see Jay-Z's success now. We're like, yo, like, I want to get that. I want to yeah. get that. But I've, I've, uh, one of my mentors, a gentleman by the name of Will Strickland, uh, has shared stories of like, yo, like Jay, when Jay first started out, like him and Dame would be rapping in clubs where there would be literally like only 15 people in the audience. And yeah. now we look at Jay and it's just like 15 people would be a, a joke to him, but yeah. he had to start somewhere. And it's like right. the, the endurance you need to have to actually keep pushing and part of it is endurance part of it is also being strategic and that's where knowledge comes in but also it's about building your network and i think yeah. that um 
surrounding yourself with people who are going to be uh this gentleman on 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 the internet boys Watkins who says you're an average of your friends right so if yeah, you are boys. yeah, yeah. shouts out to, to uh boys Watkins but uh yeah. the biggest thing is is that like if all my friends are putting in only 50 percent then I can't expect to be at a hundred because they're going to bring me down right so yeah. you gotta you gotta like and it's one of those things where loyalty is a big thing. We always want to put our people on, but that's where you got to like have that conversation with your people in the sense of like, yo, like I'm really trying to pursue this. And so I need you to be, uh, I need you to up your game so that I can now have someone who holds me accountable. Because if you right. don't have people holding you accountable, you're not going to push yourself to be, to be great. Right. You know? no, that's real talk, man. No, that, you know, that, that, that is, that's real talk because, you know, pursuing this, there's, like I said, there's levels of success, right? So if we look at somebody yeah. like, let's take Dio. So yeah. when I had Dio on the pod, he told me something. He said, I didn't want to build my career having to have having to worry about having a hit, right? Yeah. So what Dio did was, okay, well, I'll become a motivational speaker and I'll speak at schools. Mm. Yeah. So the schools book him, it was cool about that is he doesn't have to ever work because there's always going to be kids. Kids, yeah. There's always going to be kids. <laughs> That's, that's never going to go away, right? Yeah. So he put himself in a position where, like you said, like he told me, he didn't want to have to worry about, okay, if I don't have a, hit, a record that charts here or whatever, he could still go and make a living doing what he loves to do and not charting on a chart. Because he told me the story about when he when he was brought in the mentor Drake. Did he ever talk to you about that? No, no. So he said there was a point where him and there was a point where he was brought in as Drake's mentor. That's crazy. <laughs> Probably this on the podcast. He said there was a yeah. point where it was him and Dio was actually like, they were kind of on the same level. Dio was actually, you know, kind of a little bit bigger than Drake. And he remembers yeah. Drake coming to the studio and having one of those Lacey, Lacey Hard. I got it right next. I'm not gonna put it up, but have one have one of those old Lacey hard drives with with like Folders of Trey songs and Chris Brown and like songs that he wanted to do with them. He just remembers Drake being in the studio. And then at some point after that, not too long after that, you know, um, Drake just blowing up and next thing you know, he's out here. But can you gotta remember too, when Drake first came out, he wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a, a goal right away. Remember when no, he first came no. out with Trey Song, wasn't a goal. Yeah. They put that, yeah. I remember they put that replacement girl single out in girl. 06. Uh Oh seven, oh seven, oh six, oh seven. Right, they yeah. put that replacement yeah. girl single, and I remember that. You know, I remember a very young Drake at the time, and and it, it didn't hit. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. he had to, he had to go back on, on underground and came up to the mixtape circuit. And the next thing you know, of course, so far gone happens, and there is, it's a wrap. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah, Dio told me that story about how there was a time where him, you know, this you know this is like probably like right after the Degrassi days and things like that. So probably. You know, mid two thousands, maybe. You know, yeah. Where you know, yeah. So, all of them, like him, Keisha Shante, all of them, because like at that time, you're like, you know, there wasn't really a, a R and B and hip hop scene. In can you talk to, talk about that a little bit? Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I know that at the time there wasn't really, and like you said before, like an urban scene. Like, yeah. Well, R&B, the thing about- it's like pop, right? Yeah. Well, the thing about it is that, um, and this is what is so fascinating, and, and uh, one of the gripes, and I, and I hate to be that dude, but one of the gripes that I have with a lot of our 
uh, export artists right now is that we have like a vast history of, of hip hop in Canada that goes back to Mishimi, Rumble, Maestro, HDV. Like we're talking about the 80s, right? right. And um, what you begin to see in the mid 90s is artists like Chocolair, Cardinal Official, Socrates, uh, um, who else? Thrust, The Rascals, like uh, Mood Rough, like all across Canada. Like we are, be- again, because you got to keep in mind that we have the grant system that's in place that's allowing for <laughs> artists to access funds for them to record. So a scene begins to bubble in. And one of the key figures of that is a gentleman by the name of Master T who had a TV show on our music station which was much music and this okay. fought for hip-hop r&b and reggae to get exposure and so we as canadians were raised on a lot of these like our music programming as far as our video channel went we had a mixture of uh canadian music in addition to american music because up yeah. here in canada one of the things that the government put in place to make sure the canadian arts would get support in addition to the grants was what we call CanCon. So CanCon is that you have to have a a certain percentage of Canadian content being aired, whether it's radio or TV. So as us growing up, like whether you're Drake, whether you're uh, Arlo Maverick in Edmonton or just some kid from Vancouver, you grew up seeing a lot of these artists and a lot of them were like big stars to us because that's who we had as far as our representation, you know? Um, And so it's not to say there wasn't a scene. It it just was a little bit more underground. And it's, you look at, so in the early 90s, you have an artist by the name of My Show Fresh West who has like a big hit and be, it becomes like the first big like hip hop track to come out. Right. Um, you also have a group out of Edmonton called the Maximum Definitive who have a big hit that comes out like roughly three years later. But it's not until maybe like you have Ghetto Concept, but uh, I would say that the, the late 90s is when you have uh, Cardinal chocolate socrates like there's this whole movement and part of it was based off of the um canadian campus radio syndicate that was going on at that time where canadian like campus radio in canada used to dictate a lot and a lot of these guys ended up getting deals with majors because of the amount of rotation they would get because there was a huge support system you know and so um the Early 2000s is when we start seeing more funding coming in in the sense of uh, organization called Video Fact that was always funding videos. But now you have directors like Little X who are beginning to uh, really start making power moves and like just the whole the Internet is happening. But Canada as a whole is beginning to, to get access to like right. bigger artists because like all of a sudden now you have the Rascals doing songs with, with Karis one You have Cardi doing songs with Sean Paul and Busta Rhymes and like right. Cardi is making an appearance on BET for right. his music as well too. So it's like... Yeah, I remember that. And I remember when Cardinal Fish would be on these platforms and he, you know, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah. So it, it, the yeah. scene is, it's, it's interesting still because like it's obviously Drake ended up giving us the that, the nitro boost that we needed as a, as a country but yeah. there's still a history that's that's there that um, right. and i'm forgetting names too because like it's a vast history yeah. so yeah. we've always had it and when i look at someone like do do like w- if you look at his career right he has yeah. art of fresh he has his own thing but then he's also in the guinness book of world records and yeah, yeah. i love, I love yeah. yeah one thing i love about him is that like he's no matter where he is, he's still trying to create opportunities for other people. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And the unfortunate thing is that the higher you get, a lot of people look at it in the sense of, well, I can't create opportunities for other people because that might take away from mine. But like Dio's 
introduced so many Canadian artists to Europe yeah. and doing things overseas. And that's never hindered him at all. If anything, no. we, we no. give him his flowers because of the fact that it's just like, dude, like I would have never experienced like the amount. Okay. There's an artist in the city by the name of Moraine from Edmonton here. Right. Okay. Um, and this dude is just like, he's, I'm going to send you a, send you a link to some of his music. Cause he's doing okay. some amazing things. He and I would spend hours on the phone trying to figure out, yo, how do we get into Europe? How do we get into right. Europe? And out of the blue, this is a true story. Dio was in town because he was doing, um, uh, he was speaking at schools. He's again, just doing his tour thing, which is like right. such a brilliant thing. He gives me a shout. He's like, Hey, I'm in, I'm going to be in town. And the thing with Dio is that if he gives you a shout, you meet show him. Up. You don't. <laughs> you yeah. show up, you know? yeah. So he's like, so we're, we're there having food or whatever, just at this one restaurant. And he's like, have you ever been to the South of France? I'm like, nah. He's like, do you want to go? I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, of course I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, there's a conference out there called Me Dem. And he tells me what I need to do because I had already understood the grant circuit, but I didn't understand how to get into Europe. So he right. told me exactly what I needed to do to get over there. And from there, I got myself over there. Once I got myself over there, it was me and Moraine that went over there. And yeah. like now Dio's like connecting me, introducing me to this person there, introducing yeah. me to that person there. And it got me into England. Right. And I say that because of the fact that, like, there are people who understand the importance of, like, yo, like, I can't have every opportunity out yeah. there. So let me share exactly. with people who exactly. are actually like, working hard. There's you know? enough. I, there's a. There's enough for everybody. There really is. Because you can't do everything. Remember, I remember my mentor. One of my mentors, Michelle Weissmaster. She says that she's a she's a she's a well accomplished songwriter written many hits and stuff for sync and you know stuff like that. She says, look, I can't write every song. I can't yeah. write every, you know, <laughs> so there's enough for everybody. You know, she's been in the business for 40 years, you know, 42 yeah. years. And she, and there's still gonna be opportunities for her to, to, to like there's okay it's okay to, to allow new people to come in and do their 100%. thing too. That's the thing. Like you don't have to be shy you don't have to be shysty and stingy. There's enough for all of us to win and just like me as a as a coach it's a, there's a lot of people that are doing artist consults and things like that there's enough because at the end of the day people connect to me because they like me you yes know what I mean? yes it's not like i'm not sharing any information that isn't and the other people I, don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> and not like it's top secret like oh my gosh only i came up with this yeah a lot of times we teach the same things. Like I have a process. I call it because for me, bro, I believe that everything about having a core audience. I mean, I really believe for independent artists in order to make a living doing it in today's space, the goal should be having a core, right? Yeah. Knowing who your core. So that's really the premise. You see what I post. That's the premise of what I talk about. Yeah. yeah. So the process that I call I created is called the genesis of super fan building. And the mm. concepts are what we normally, what we would know, what everybody teaches. But I just, I just call it, I just call it what it is. Like I talk about the, the brand positioning statement, right? Or yeah. call it a value proposition, right? Yeah. Or I talk about the buyer fan persona. So we call that a fan avatar or a character. It's all the same thing. We might just call it something a little bit different, different. but it's the yeah. same concepts. So there's enough room for all of us to do what we do 
and still be successful. So I totally get you. Like, it's you, you got to be okay with putting people on. It's okay, you know, because Dio's going to be fine. You know, he has his contacts. And like I said, he, he built his career where he doesn't have to worry about if he has a charting record because he's always going to be able to get booked at schools. Yeah, yeah. That's and, not going to change. You know what yeah. I mean? That's not going to change. He can, he can do that for the next 20 years if he wants to. Yeah. And, you know, and still do his tours and things like that. But, but like you said, he told me specifically, he said, I did that so that I didn't want to have to worry about if I don't have a hit record. Yeah. You know, I was going to pay the bills. You're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. I was, I, no, I was going to say that uh, one of my mentors has always said to me is like, you have value. You just have to realize how to monetize it. And that's something that Dio has done in the sense of like being able to know that, okay, well, he has, uh, a, a skill when it comes to working with kids, you know, yeah. and he's been able to take that, couple that skill with his music capabilities, and now yeah. like this is what al- allows him to to receive money for he, yeah. essentially monetizing his value. Exactly know? right. And so I mean, like I said, it's like success looks, you know, success looks different to everybody, man. I just try to tell people like the worst thing you can do is ever compare yourself to uh, somebody else's journey. That's the worst thing. And I, 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 I tell people because that's you're going to drive yourself nuts if you try to do that. Yeah. If you try to do that, you're going to drive yourself crazy. <laughs> and you'll be unhappy because you'll, yeah. you'll always be looking at, well, this person has done this, so I got to do this. And it's like, right. there's nothing wrong with looking at someone's uh, path and being inspired by it. But right. to get to the point where now you start feeling like you're less of a person because of the fact that you haven't achieved what someone else has achieved. Like there are things that you have achieved that that person hasn't achieved, you know? Exactly. So. That's what I've had to tell, you know, a lot of times too, if, if an artist has the has a manager, right? So I'm yeah. an artist manager, but I only manage an act that's like family to me. I don't believe, like, I don't call my artists, my clients. I clients never, yeah. If I'm managing you, like I'm not going to refer to you as a client. Like, yeah, if I'm doing consulting work or other stuff, yeah, you're a client, but I don't, Consider you if you if we if, if I'm managing you we're in the trenches together you're my artist yeah. like we're we're family we're we're like this you know what I mean because it's the only way it works and yeah. so what happened a lot of times with artists is they think the grass is greener on the other side, side. And the first yeah. person they want to get rid of is their manager oh yeah. and that understanding like we can only do so much yeah. your manager can only do so much man at the end of the day this is your career you know yeah. what I mean. And so I always tell anybody who wants to work with artists is to build your own brand independent of the, any artist you work with. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, you'll fall into the trap of trying, to, you know, of feeling like you need that. Like, no, like I made, I make it a point to build my own stuff. Yeah. That's independent of me having to manage anybody. I can still do what I want to do. I think it's so important to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. I agree. For sure, man. So, um, you know, so your your album, your album tomorrow, uh, maybe tomorrow has received tomorrow. some really yeah. great acclaim, man. So peaked at number three on the campus radio weekly hip hop charts on CMJ, yeah, right. And number twenty on the top fifty album in twenty sixteen. Yeah. And then you did pretty much the same similar thing. On Canadian ra- college radio, looks like right. Yeah, uh, except for went to number one, number number one in Canada. Though. Yeah, that's amazing <laughs> stuff, man. You know, when people hear that, it's like, dude, that is so cool. Because again, 
when you're able to, the cool thing about campus radio is they don't have the same rules that maybe FM or the F, you know, you can all, it's easy to break through a lot of times, I believe, on college radio, right? Yeah. Uh, one, because it, at least here in America, it's very expensive to get on FM radio. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. extremely up, expensive. Yeah. <laughs> For one single, you're looking at about 150 grand. Minimum. Yeah, that's, that's what it costs to yeah. work once to do a national campaign on radio. Yeah, you're looking at it. That's what it costs. So, I mean, you know, if you're able to kind of go the college radio route, um, it really is. It really does allow you to 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 create some opportunities. So tell me about that. I mean, how did that feel to have you to have people receive your project that way? Well, it, it felt real good, really good still. And, and the thing with campus radio um, is that the DJs at campus radio play music that they want to play. And right. that in itself, like, ends up becoming something where you, like, not to say that you seek validation, but it allows you to know that you're creating something that has a home to go to, you know? Right. Um, because a lot of times when you look at commercial radio, like, you know that a lot of these songs are songs that are, as you said, $150,000 to promote that. Right. So and, and, they're pay, and they're paid for by the label. The record company, the record companies pay for that. There's no, don't get yes. it twisted. They pay for that. Yeah. <laughs> So mm-hmm. when when you have an independent artist who's able to have that uh, that level of connection, then I think that's really important, and that's something that I'm hoping that because um, I'm working on some new music right now, I'm hoping that we can repeat that success and even push further. Because right. one thing I try to do is that with any any project that I do, like I look at where I've been and just say, okay, well, how do I level up so that the next time we're able to reach more people and uh have a bigger experience and give the audience a bigger experience than than previously before you know awesome man awesome how are you doing on time are you good yeah i'm I'm good i'm good okay yeah Yeah. because you know because you got so much out we probably won't be able to cover everything in this episode because yeah (laughs) we'll have to bring you back for part two for sure (laughs) um yeah man and so You've been featured on this is you know this is fifty dot com noisy vice dot com where you were, um, on the front page or or, or view and then you were on the cover and you were the cover for View magazine as well. Yes. So yes how do yes. you feel like the digital press played a role in your success as far as your brand? I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. As far as how do you feel about you know how stuff like that? How how, how has it played a role for you? Well, the biggest thing um, is obviously awareness. Um, I do have a background in marketing, so I understand how to reach uh, media. I understand how to get press. And obviously, as you uh, as you put out releases and people are reacting to them, like first and foremost, you got to have something that that is going to connect with people. And whether it's your story or the music that you're creating, something has to connect with the journalists for them to actually want to actually write something about you and give you that access to their audience, you know? So um, I've been, I've been thankful and very fortunate, but at the same time though, I do think that it's it's part of me just being a person who uh, is extremely creative. Um, And I say that not in the sense of boasting, but um, some people make music and just leave it at that. But for me, it's about creating an experience with them. Like, Kanye West is one of my biggest inspirations when it comes to music and just what he's been able to do as far as giving people a total experience is what I try to do. So for that album, maybe tomorrow, like a lot of the promotion behind that centered around allowing people to come into the world of the character that was on there and like 
we created short films that that uh, that supported it, and people were able to really appreciate that. And, and to me, it's like you've got to like going back to Michael Jackson, like when growing up, like seeing like things like Moonwalker by Michael Jackson, like you as a kid, like you love that, like you get lost in that whole world, and like that's what I want to do with with my music as far as. Um, not just giving people the audible experience, but also giving them a visual experience, one that um, where they can see themselves in certain characters and, and, and find truths and like start to begin to, to, to really open their minds to what is possible, you know? No, I love that, man. I really do. That's, that's amazing. That's also amazing. Thank you. You've, you've, you've done some pretty cool things, been, been, won some awards, you know, Edmonton Music Awards. Yeah, for rap recording of the year a couple of different times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, twenty sixteen for your song called "More." Yeah. Again, twenty seven and twenty seventeen for the your single "Too Many Twos," which I went, yeah. I went ahead and checked that out. You know. Yeah. So that was cool, man. So I mean, you know, and because it's tough for indie acts to win awards. You know what I mean? And some of the small, like some of the smaller towns, some of the small seats here in the states, like. You know, they have, I know South Carolina has South Carolina Music Awards and things like that. But, you know, a lot of times artists only look at the Grammys and the big stuff to win, right? And yeah. So it's cool when you can see like, oh, well, I can do stuff as, a, as an indie artist and, win, and be recognized there. Again, all this stuff is, is, is stuff to keep you going and keep you moving along when people recognize what it is that you're doing. So I love that. There's opportunities to win awards and, and be able to be like, look, my shit's dope. People, yeah, you know, people, <laughs> they mess with people, it. People <laughs> still fuck with what I do, so yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Well, it, it, it's it, it, yeah, it's also part of just like building your body of work, man. And and mm. like for me, like like I grew up in an era where like stats were so big, like whether it was your stats as a, as a basketball player or your stats yeah. as, as an artist or whatever, or even like Marvel comics where it's just like, okay, you see the stats from the back of it and stuff like that. Like a lot of that, that data is what kind of like intrigued me and made me be like, okay, like I want to have the ability to, for people to like look at the accomplishment accomplishments or accolades and be like, yo, like this dude, like he's really putting in work, you know? So yeah. for me, it's a lot of it just comes down to, um, seeing that um especially in a document form pushes me to be like yo like i was here but where am i oh. going to be next year where am i going to be five when years? i when i looked at this i'm like damn i'm like this is pretty cool you know uh, and mean? that's that's outdated too that's outdated as well too I yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you gotta update it <laughs> and, you know but that i mean you know what but it just it, it makes it, it it further solidifies what i believe that that there's again there's levels to success. Everybody can't yeah. be the biggest act in the world. It's impossible. Yeah. Everybody can't do that. So when, so but when you can achieve success to do the things you love to do and travel the world and do it, then you know again success looks different. It may not have been what you dreamed about when you first started, but it's opportunities. You know, it's 100%. opportunities to that that uh, that you can that that allow for other opportunities to to take place, man. So. That's amazing. Totally, totally. And and the thing when you talk about like success and like it, when I look at it, it's like where my family is from in Jamaica, for me to be able to be a, a person or a kid or an adult who's been able to travel the world to perform music like that in itself is success, you know, because like right. I shouldn't be here, you know? Right. No, no, no. Look, when I think about like, damn, I think about all the places that music has taken me. I see yeah. it, you know, like, you know, 
like like when I told Theo, like you know, when Theo first started, when Theo and I met twenty sixteen through his cousin that went to high school with me, and he told me about he told me about like man, you gotta meet my cousin Theo, you know. Yeah. Met Theo, we worked together, and then I told about I told him about meet them, and of course we were, he raised the money and he he got there, and the first year he. You know, he, man, so many great things happened. And since then, he's been on several Euro tours. He's doing amazing things now. But it just goes mm. to show you that, like, there's opportunity. You know, there's oh, yeah. opportunity that doesn't look like, that doesn't always look like what the major acts are doing. But you're able to still do what it is you love to do. 100%. And, and it just but it looks a little bit different. It's, it's not going to, most of the time, it's not going to be how you envisioned it. It's yeah. totally different. But I, I think the, the thing about it, though, is that when we envision success, we have to understand that, like, um, success means discipline. Success doesn't always mean um, pushing a Lamborghini or whatever the, yeah. the, the case may be, because at the end of the day, like uh, Vic Mensa, who has a very similar mentality as D.O., has often said that he doesn't have to worry about selling out an arena of 20,000 people because he keeps his costs low. Right. And so with keeping his costs low and and keeping just his, his, his budget realistic, he's able to still make a living off his music, but he doesn't have to uh, worry about the hit much like Dio doesn't have to worry about a hit. Cause like he's focused on making sure that his, like you have your assets and your liabilities, like cover your liabilities and make sure that the assets that you have coming in are going to allow for there to be a revenue stream that allows you to actually um, live the life that you want to live. And sometimes as artists, we look at it from the standpoint of like, yo, I want to live like Drake. I want to live like that. But yeah. those are those are our problems. Those are our financial problems that you may not want to deal with. Yeah, you know, that's facts. You don't, now you have time, to like... Yeah, a lot of times the type of success that that a Beyonce or JJ Drake have, you don't want that level of success. For, I mean, remember that year, a couple of years ago, going to the Grammys, Drake himself said, "Look, you don't have to be me. Like, if you yeah. if you can pay, if you if you're able to pay your bills doing this, you're already successful. You, just, you, yeah. say, like, you don't have don't 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 let the Grammy don't let the Grammy be what defines you. You don't have to win a Grammy to be considered dope." Like, yeah, and it's like, you know, and I, I've been saying that for years because I just feel like too many people are, are are using these awards as what validates them. Like, there's no yeah. award that's going to validate you. You just, just got to do the work because you love it, man. You don't do the work to win awards. You do the work because you love it. Don't do the yeah. work to get, you know what I mean? But so, it, it, what's crazy about that is that, like, if we go back to our primitive uncivilized uh versions of our society right when you were out doing things there weren't awards there weren't things that you were given to validate the fact that you were able to be a great hunter or that you were a great gatherer it was a situation of um you had to do the job because that's just what was necessary and and (laughs) the process within that there's a book uh, and you probably have checked it out still the uh the alchemist where it talks about the whole fact of the journey is what's important. And a lot of times we get caught up on the end goal and don't realize that the person we become in the end isn't because of the destination. It's because of the journey that we've gone through to get to the destination. Speaking my language, I try to tell people all the time, enjoy the journey. People are so focused on on the destination, but the journey is where you find yourself. The journey is where you, you know, and it's just like, 
and especially with this generation, bro, they they want to move so fast. Yeah, like this is a marathon. Like this really is a marathon. Like, Shouts out to Nipsey. Like, <laughs> You know, you have to, but we got to realize too, even in Nipsey's case, I mean, when, when he first went to Epic in 09, he got dropped. Like, he had to go and actually prove that he could, you know, win. And he went and did a whole bunch of releases in the street. And like, yeah. so when he comes back around to do his Atlantic deal, I mean, the only reason why he even did it because he just wanted the major labor rollout. Yeah. I don't think it was so much I need to have. Yeah. yeah. But he just wanted the resources. Same thing with Le- kind of like Lecrae, like, you know, they just wanted the resources of a major label, not so much to build them, but just like, okay, I want the, the resources of a major to be able to 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 navigate to navigate it the way the majors do, which is why, you know. So I totally I totally feel you on that, man. Yeah. Cool. And that those are and that Lecrae, uh Nipsey, Russ, like Tech Nine, these are people that that truly love the process and love the art, you know, and like you could see it in in, in the stuff that they do, which is powerful, you know. For sure, man. For sure. For sure. So yeah. So then you um you decide to be a part of a group. So I guess we're gonna go a little bit further back now. Yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> so you had a group called yeah. um Politic Politic yes. Live. Politic Live. Politic Live. Poly right. Live is short. Okay, cool, man. And so, uh, you know, if talk really it was started by you and, and your guys, for your, all y'all have West Indian roots, yeah. but you guys were going to talk about past and current hip hop influences, and your name really rep, rep really represents the balance of art and commerce. Yeah, you know, and talking about you know really the economic boom and rising violence of where you guys are from. Yeah, right? yeah, man. So, so talk to me about being in a group versus being a solo MC? Like, what made you guys want to, what made you want to be in the group? Versus, you know, obviously you was probably always a solo first, but. Yeah, well, what's funny is that we all grew up together. So the two other guys in the group um, are my cousins, right? And so we grew up together just rapping and and so on and so forth and just doing dance routines. And uh, yeah, like for me, I'm, I'm very much about family, just very much about surrounding myself with people who I care a lot about, right? And so um because we rode bikes together we like went to school together because like we were just like always inseparable it's just like yo i'm rapping i want my cousins to rap so you guys are gonna start rapping you know (laughs) and so we we, uh developed a group that ended up uh like doing a lot of good things for the for the city like we had the opportunity to tour canada we uh received a lot of uh award nominations um, we charted um, in Canada as far as campus radio goes. We got critical acclaim. So it was a group that opened up a lot of doors for um, for Edmonton hip hop, you know. Um, right. But the unfortunate thing is that uh, life can take you on different different uh, different paths. And so for me, like music was something where I was just like, I still wanted to be involved. Where for them, it they didn't want music to feel like it was a uh, a job anymore you know okay. and and I respect that because at the end of the day like for me like I love the business side of music in addition to the artistic side where some people they just love the artistic side and, and yeah. tour life is tour life as you know is not not easy because like uh-uh. you're yeah. not sleeping you're not eating you're constantly on the go and and for some people it's just like they've got yeah. family and so when you have yeah. kids you have all this other stuff it's like hey like 
I love to do this, but at the same time, though, I, I also love to spend time with, with my family. Yeah, it, see it, my kids it, it's right. It's, when you decide to pursue this career, I had this conversation last night. Like, this is not a nine to five traditional life. It's just, it's, nope. so it's, <laughs> it's going to be a much, much different, non traditional life that you have to be willing to be with. So it also means you have to have a partner that's supportive of. Yes. That's yes. a major key. <laughs> yep. You have to have somebody that you're with that supports um, what it is that you're trying to do. Because if you don't have that supportive partner at home, it's just going to be it's going to be too hard. It's going to be too yeah. hard because they, they, especially if they don't really understand the game. Oh, 100%. If they, if they work a nine to five, then all of a sudden yeah. now they, they just don't get why you're always working, you know? Right. But you're essentially working 24 hours because you are your own boss. You, you have to create opportunities that aren't yeah. there because you, if you're not working, that's an opportunity that you're, that you're not creating, you know? Right. No, I, to- I totally agree, man. I totally, totally agree. And so after that, so, going, so let's go even before that, you had a record label. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the record label is something that we started. Uh, so one of my cousins from the group, Dirk Gritty, he and I basically formed the label. And it was, um, again, just that whole era of like just watching what Dame was doing with, with, with Jay and and, right. and uh, Biggs and and just kind of emulating yeah. that in the sense of, OK, well, we see there's a lot of talent here within the city. Um, yeah. Let's give them that support system that allows them to. Uh, do a proper release for the record uh, to get their stuff out to radio, um, albeit campus radio, but finding ways that we could actually give our support because there are some artists that um, no matter what, they just, they just, they just won't be um, business minded artists, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's what it is, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're exactly right. There's some artists who don't really want to think like that, you know, but, yeah. and for them, it'll be a hobby and, you know, it's okay. I mean, it's and I tell you, it's totally okay for music to be a hobby. It is totally yeah. fine. You know, the the but if you wanted it to be, if you want this to be your profession, you just have to look at it differently. You just have to. It's part. You know, yeah. you can't approach it passively if you want this thing to be what you do every day. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I totally get uh, it. I totally get it. You know. And then you obviously spent time with the DJ. Yeah, um, yeah. CGSR right, FM radio. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, man. So talk to me about that a little bit. Okay, well, with uh, CGSR, I was there for uh, 11 to 13 years. And that was just like something that I loved. Um, radio, something that I love. Um, for me, the biggest thing is that I'm a storyteller, right? And yeah. I love helping artists get their stories out. I love yeah. being able to give artists a platform for their music to be heard. And so with the, with the show, like there was a huge focus on um, supporting like independent Canadian acts and bringing them through to do radio interviews and allowing them to share their process and talk about their releases. Because I think that one of the biggest things with, um, with, with artists is that sometimes a lot of the major label artists that we love it's because of the fact that we were able to connect to their story and mm-hmm. we were able to hear their story. But if you're an independent artist, a lot of times the bigger outlets don't feel the need to connect with you because you haven't really gained any clout. Right. So for me, the biggest thing was creating a space and environment where artists could come through and like 
uh, have the songs be in rotation, but then also be able to talk about those songs because some of those songs are, are extremely important because they're talking about what's going on in their communities and going on within their cities, you know? Right. And yeah, so now I, I did that for a number of years and it was hip hop, R&B and reggae. Obviously, like I always try to, to, to show love to, to Jamaica. And so just have to throw some reggae music in there. <laughs> I got to. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And quickly, man, you know, let's quickly talk about, you know, hip hop for hunger. Yeah. And, 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 um, as well as your youth leadership mentorship. And then we'll close with the stuff you did. And I really want to talk about, man, maybe we need to say, maybe we need to save that for, uh, part two because we really want to get into the into into grant stuff yeah okay uh, okay yeah I, wh- wherever you want to cut to, to make part one and, and we can figure out part two that's totally cool still yeah, yeah. so what we'll do so here's what we'll do we'll, we'll, we'll we will um we'll talk a little bit about hip-hop for hunger okay and then um and then i do want to talk about grants so we'll talk hip-hop for hunger and then we'll and then we'll skip over to the grants Okay. Um, like I said, Mick, I will be all, if we will be here for another two hours if we if we just keep getting <laughs> stories and stuff like that. Because there, there's know, a lot of history. There's a lot of history. There's there. a lot of stuff, man. I love it though. Yeah. I just want to be respectful yeah. of your time, man. And so I appreciate. Yeah, know. no, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, so Hip Hop for Hunger was our initiative that we started with the label um, that would basically put on a concert at Christmas time to raise food donations for the Edmonton Food Bank. And so we did that for uh, 13 years. And with that, we ended up raising like over 10,000 pounds of food for the Edmonton Food Bank. Um, we also, I, uh, it's, it's fascinating because like the event itself would inspire other people to do similar initiatives. And so um, we kind of planted the seeds for other artists realizing that you don't have to be this major label artist to be able to give back to your community. And so um while we were also exposing the edmonton uh scene just as a whole the whole city to uh the hip-hop scene that was here we were also um allowing for artists to realize the importance of giving back and being involved in their community and and um it's an event that we've been thinking about bringing back because of the fact that it, it did so so many good things for the community but um it is a tough balance because you're uh, still trying to be an artist. You're running a label. You're uh, doing campus radio. You're yeah. There's a lot going on. There's a lot. Yeah, you're writing. You're you doing all do, these. You things. can only do so much, man. You might want to. You might want to put a staff in place to handle that. Uh, yeah, because it's a lot, man. To oh yeah, and and the, I think the 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 thing that you realize as you get older is that the need for delegation and uh, yeah, Dio talks about that in the sense of like, yeah, you he, can't be successful yeah. until you delegate. You know. Yeah, you have to, you know, yeah, because, you know, that that just that alone requires so much stuff. And then you're trying to do a million other things. I mean, it's something like that. You have to you have to put people in place to handle that because you at this point, you probably can't give it the same care it needs. No, all the other (laughs) stuff you have going on. You know, because something's going to suffer. Something's going to suffer. Yeah, yeah, you you always got to. I'm learning too. you got to be able to say no, because you can't do everything. You know, no, and so no. you know, if you got the resources to to put some people in place to do that, you know, then it, you know, because the whole goal is to make a difference. And if yeah. you know, if, if you're doing something you can't make the difference, it's just not worth doing. You know. Yeah. So, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. For sure, for sure, man. Cool. Well, let's um, you know what? Let's let's skip down to the grants, and then okay. uh, next time we'll come back and and then you know, 
and we'll uh we'll touch on the other stuff which yeah. is more in depth but let's talk quickly about the grants you know you work at the grant writer and and really how can you know how can how can you know artists coming up especially the canadian in Canada really, really uh, be able to maximize that. And also, too, if how Americans, if they collaborate with Canadians, how does that work? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, that, that, that has been done in the past before. Um, I can't remember. There was a producer from Canada who ended up doing a, a project where he ended up uh, inviting a whole bunch of MCs and a lot of them were American MCs and they were able to create projects that way. So there is that uh, ability to do so. The only thing with the Canadian government is that because of the fact they really want to push um, Canadian artists, they, they, they put restrictions on how much uh, outside uh, influence can be involved with the project, you know? So yeah, but no, the, the, the granting system that we have here, um, the main body that people are familiar with when it comes to music is an organization called Factor, which is the uh, foundation to assist Canadian talent on records. They've been around from, uh, I want to say, like the either the early 80s or the 70s. Um, okay. And they've funded a lot of artists like Belly, who's one of our biggest exports. Um, he got, got Factor funding at, at a certain point of his career. Um, a lot of big artists that you see, Shad, um, uh, Melanie Fiona, a lot of these artists have received Factor grants. And, and the thing with Factor is that it is a organization that is in place to uh, give the give Canadian artists um, the funding that they need. And they have a variety of different grants. Like they fund showcasing, touring, marketing, um, recording. They even have like grants for organizations. And right. the biggest thing for them is that they um, want to help artists at every level of the career. So even if you're an artist who isn't necessarily at the stage of wanting to, to or at, at the stage where you can do an album yet, right. they also have artist development grants. So with that, you're looking at $2,000 that you can get to basically just like do any one of those things. So market, uh, tour, showcase, record, do a video, so on and so forth. Um, and they really work with the artists to make sure that um, you're able to, meet the demands and meet the needs of what you're looking for. And, and it's all adjudicated by your peers. So as right. artists, you can actually sign up and be like, Hey, I'd like to be a factor uh, juror and then be able to see the process and also be able to help. Uh, yeah. Help make the decisions that, that can support a project or not. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, no, it's, it's a real cool system. still because in addition to our, so that's a federal grant that's accessible to anybody in Canada. Um, another federal grant that we have is called Canada Council that um, deals with not just music, it deals with different art disciplines. So if you're a uh, visual artist who does paint or if you're a filmmaker or if you're a person who writes books or if you uh, want to stage a play, uh, if you want to do an album, you want to like there's uh, they have funding that is available as well, too. So that one there isn't discipline specific. It's open to different uh, art disciplines. Right. But then we also have provincial and municipal grants as well, too. So within the province that you're in, they'll have grants that are specific for people who are within that province. And then we have okay. grants that are specific to um, people within a certain city. So um, there's and part of this, the reason why we have so much funding is because 
there's, again, just going back to, to what I had said earlier, there's a thing called CCD funding. So while we have CanCon, we also have what's called CCD funding, which is called, which is uh, Canadian content development funding. So okay. our broadcasters are, whether it's radio or television, they have to allocate a certain number, uh, a certain amount of their profits per year to developing Canadian content. And they have okay. the option of either running like a contest or, or, or putting an arts development thing on, or just handing that, that funding, that funding, sorry, over to factor. And then factor could then say, okay, we're going to add it to the pool that the artists could access for them to be able to uh, apply for funding for recording, marketing, marketing, uh, uh, video, et cetera, you know? And then we even have private organizations as well too. Um, like, uh, what is that uh story hive that uh to tell us that allows for grant funding so yeah there's a lot that we have up here a lot that we have up here and it's not to say that there's not grants in the u.s because oh there, there is but it's just not easily the truth is it's just not easily as easily accessible oh yeah no. man you're just on your own i mean yeah it's what it is you know what i mean yeah but also too you guys run more of a socialistic type of space out there you know yes, I mean? yes, yes, yes. It's much more of like we rather have 50, 50 people, five fifty people making, you know, or more than fifty. We rather have five thousand people, ten thousand people making a hundred thousand a year than having a couple people just make all the make the million to the million versus in America, it's free enterprise. You eat what you kill, man. Kill, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. and it's for us we're we do have a mixed economy up here, so capitalism definitely <laughs> is is uh, especially in Alberta. Um, but okay. at the same time though, I do think that with the system that we have as far as grants go. Um, and there are some Canadians who, who hate the whole fact that, that their tax dollars have to go towards grants. Um, but the great thing with grants though is that you're still creating, you're still having, like I've created jobs for people based off of having yeah. a project and then That's also right. hire you to do something. So it's still finding ways to generate the economy. And one of the things that people don't talk about when it comes to grants is the fact that sometimes um, there are organizations that are looking for new ideas and that's where someone coming in with a grant is like, Hey, like I'm going to apply for this grant to do this thing here. Then the company's like, wow, like that's so innovative. Like our staff would have never come up with that. Thank you for solving this problem. So right. we have grants that, that also, uh, work within the, the, the field of science and medicine. So it's not right. just with music. Like, right. right. You know, right, right. no, that's awesome. No, that's just a great thing because, again, you know, when people have ideas, funding is always the biggest thing. You know, it comes yeah. down to like, okay, this sounds great, but we need money to put money. To get this thing started, you know <laughs> exactly. what I mean? So, yeah. when you yeah. have the opportunity to, again, you know, go with music, when you have the opportunity, it's expensive, man, to, to, you know, to record properly, to get the studios and to do that, and to pay for a proper mix. Look, I, I always tell people that. The the the, object, the object uh, the objectivity is in the technical side, mixing, yeah. mastering, recording, etc. Right, but when it's when you put it out to the marketplace, that's when everything becomes subjective because now yes, it's totally. because it's emotion at that point. Then it's yeah. like your job as an artist is to find enough people that's going to connect to that emotion that you bring into the marketplace. Right, 100%. And people invest in the relationship. That's why people invest in the relationship. When people spend money, you know, I always I call it turning interested fans to supporters. 
because a mm-hmm. fan can like your stuff, a supporter spends money. The only way that shift happens mm-hmm. is if they feel like they have a relationship with you. No, I I I, I agree with you one hundred percent, man. Because you you don't want uh you don't want casual fans. You want people to be so fanatic about what you do exactly. that they are promote, and that's where you're you have to really target your niche. But yeah. your niche has to like be so. Uh, enthusiastic about getting your name out there to the right. point that they will have arguments in barbershops about exactly. this dude is like better than but that you, dude. Man. There, I mean, you, Maverick, man. You, you know, and that's what you need. That's what you, that's what you need, man. And that and that makes that makes it worth. You know, that makes make you want to keep going. One of the things I love about going overseas is that they're much more open to things. You know, I mean, because here in the states. Most people think they got to run to Atlanta, run to L.A., some of these bigger cities and stuff like that. But I always say, man, when you go when you go to other parts of the world and you realize how much, much more open they are, it, it, it keeps you encouraged to keep going when somebody loves you, when somebody's screaming your name. And, 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 yeah. and it might be in a different language, but they're telling you they love you. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? So. So it's and, those little things like that that keep people encouraged and keep people wanting to keep pursuing this dream. And what I love about why I'm such an why I'm such an advocate for artists is because you guys are willing to pursue your dreams. Most people yeah. don't. Most people settle for okay, we're gonna they're not really doing what they love. They're doing something that you know pays the paycheck or whatever. Yes. But yeah, you know, it takes somebody to really want to pursue this and pursue art. Uh, because we and like I said, we need it. People, it's not as it's not a. You're not going to make a ton of money doing it at first, but it is so needed, man. We, we can't yeah. live life without it. I can't stress that enough that we can't oh, yeah, live that, life without without the arts. Well, I was I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and I honestly cannot remember who it was, but we were talking about how there's not enough. Um, research done into the impact that art has on society right. you know um because there are there are like ramifications positive ramifications yeah. from um people who actually have access to art because um whether it's um school children whether it's just your average everyday person in the sense yeah. of like their standard of living or just like their 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 experience in life as a whole is impacted on a positive and you get better results out of them if they are in a society that actually promotes arts, you know? And we don't have that conversation because a lot of times we see it as well, arts disposable, but it's been here from the beginning of time. And yes. we've seen how it's inspired people to, to do great. We've seen how it's inspired right. countries and cultures to, to be even greater. You yeah, know? So, I totally agree, man. I totally agree. Auto man, it's been fun, bro. We gotta just say we we gotta we gotta come back and get a part two and get a little bit more deeper to you. So you've done so much, man. We would, like I said, we'd be here for hours if we covered <laughs> everything because you and I like to talk about stories. We like to, you know, and so we I, <laughs> I don't want to keep we'd be here till ten o'clock trying to cover nah, everything. Nah. 100%, but uh, 100%. man, it, it's been so fun, man. Uh, where can the people find you? How can they connect with you? All that type of stuff uh online you can find me at arlo maverick on instagram and twitter i don't really use twitter too much but at the same time i am on there um and they can also find me on my youtube channel uh youtube.com slash arlo maverick where i 
I share my vlogs to talk about um, just like music knowledge on a variety of different topics. Um, Great stuff this, too, by the way. Great stuff. Nah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm also a filmmaker. So I also put up some of my uh, f- film work on there. And I also am an artist. So you can actually see um, I've kind of set up my YouTube channel in a sense where if you want to see interviews of mine, you can see interviews of mine. You want to see performances, you can see performances. If you want to see uh, videos, like I have playlists for all of that. So if someone wants to kind of just like go down the rabbit hole and just kind of better understand me as an artist, then I've laid it out in a really digestive format that, uh, yeah, can hopefully make you a fan. Awesome guys. Well, like I said, you know, he's a great guy. We've had such a great time. I'm going to get it back on the podcast here soon. But until next time, this is your host, Terrell Peart, and I'm out of here. Peace. Peace.